This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About with me, Gina Tremarco, and Susanna Gray Jones. <laughs> and Susanna is, by the way, she is in a hotel room in New York right now doing this podcast. So just in case um, maybe the sound sounds off or some littles come showing up in the hotel room. She is um, on her second week on her tour here in America, and we got to meet each other in person this week. Uh Yes, we did. And it was brilliant and awesome. It makes you realize how you can get to know someone virtually and then you meet them and you know them even though you've never actually seen them physically before. Um, So it was very special. It was very special. I know that like it didn't feel like. I don't know. It didn't feel like we were meeting for the first time because we're, we talk so much yeah. that it was like, oh, we just happened to be in the same room all of a sudden. But when you saw me, you looked at me as if like, you're a stranger. I was like, no, I'm not. I know you. <laughs> I did not. You, did. Like you gave me a kind of, it was quite sweet, actually. It was, <laughs> it was almost not, not shy, but a, a sh- more of a shy Gina Tremarco first. And then you, then you got into yourself again. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, there were a couple things going on there. First of all, uh, I met you at Jet Blunt's house, mm-hmm. which was I didn't expect that. That was mm-hmm. so it was so funny because I was on my way uh, to his house, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, um, are you? I, I know you were going to meet up with him, and you're like, oh, 'Oh, I'm meeting him at five. I'm like, I'm meeting him at five. What, what are you talking about?'" <laughs> so, uh, so some of it was unexpected, but quite lovely, and it and was we awesome. Were on our best behavior, weren't we? We were on our best behavior. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I always try to be on my best behavior with Jeb. <laughs> I try, I try. You were very try, good, but that was, but that was good. It was awesome. So, and then we spent um, a couple days together. We did the. Hen party, aka bachelorette party. Um, somebody on LinkedIn today made a comment of they had listened to one of our episodes and then made a comment about oh, have fun at your bachelorette party. So that shows people are listening. So oh, yes, they so, are. So that's cool. We had a fun we had a fun photo shoot. So be on the lookout for those because we're getting the website updated and we're getting ready for outbound and we got our videos made. It was a very productive week. It was the best week. It was the best week. One of those weeks where you you know that you'll never get it back. You know, it's just one of those once in a once in a moment times. So it was great. Well, here's here's a here's a question I have for you um, on your visit here to America. Uh, as we love to uh, talk about word of the week, is there anything? Um, that has popped up for you, like American 
American phrases or things that we say or anything that came up at the sales gravy office this week for you? Well, I think you know that there was one in particular um, (laughs) and it happened to be at the bachelorette party. Um, So (laughs) I thought I was doing the polite English thing, offering everyone drinks. And then suddenly, (laughs) suddenly um, someone presents me with some kind of jelly, like dessert. I'm like, huh? What's this? And everyone thought it was hilarious at Selfridge. And I was just like, this is a drink. And then trying to actually sip this jelly out of this bowl was so uncivilized, so unclassy. But do you know what? I loved it. It was lush. And apparently it was some kind of vodka jelly. And what do you guys call it? (laughs) (laughs) We call it jello shots. And you... And you have now renamed it Vodka Jelly, which I love. And if you guys could, by the way, I do have a picture of you trying to do the Vodka Jelly, a.k.a. Jello Shot. (laughs) I have not posted this picture. I might just save it as a blackmail picture for later down the road. Well, yeah, though, I mean, I've got my own photos of you, so be careful. (laughs) Be careful what you're posting. Um, But one thing I I will say is that by the end of that night, I don't know if it was those jelly shots, whatever you call them, or the fact that we've been singing karaoke, but my voice had gone completely. 8 a.m., alarm goes at 6, and I'm in the studio at 8 a.m. recording my new course, which... By the way, listeners who are sales leaders should absolutely listen to. Um, It's all about sales recruiting. It comes out next week and it's got some few really, really elite tips for you to really recruit those best sales professionals, the top high performing sales professionals that we want in our organization. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, I am pretty impressed with the content that you sent me. Uh, I think it's going to be an awesome course for people to take. What is the course called? Um, it's called Recruiting for Sales Professionals, unless Jeb decides to change the name. But as far as I'm aware, that is what we're calling it. <laughs> well, I'm pretty excited about it. I think the content is cool. And um, um, if you could just hear on my end the voice message that you left me or barely a voice message of no voice. And I'm like, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you did. And do you know what I'll say is, as Gina says, the show must go on. And if you're show really interested to see how I turned around my non-existent voice to an awesome course, tune in and watch the course. Hey, this is what we do. And as performers, you know, with performer backgrounds, the show must go on. I, as you know, um, had a medical emergency. And it started out that way because when I went to urgent care uh, with a really puffy eye, the urgent care doctor said, you got to go to the ER or you might lose your vision. I, I kind of thought of that as a medical emergency. Now, granted, I, I could have lost my vision, possibly if I got a really bad infection, but I scratched my cornea. So uh, the show must go on. I put sunglasses on to train the rest of the week because I'm not supposed to look into the lights. Yeah. Awesome. And I think, you know, hats up. What a great tip to start off today. You know, if if your if your eye is just completely swollen up and you're still delivering a course with sunglasses, then if you're not a professional, I don't know what you are. You, sh- you you show up, which I think is a great segue for this is part two of a sales leadership series that we're doing. We don't know how many parts there are going to be 
Uh, but this is um, based on questions from our listeners about sales leadership. So uh, we're taking these questions and answering them. I don't know. This could probably go on for several for several episodes, right? Do we have a lot of questions? We do have a lot of questions, and we barely touched the surface last time. Um, but the the first question that I was going to come up with was one that actually dovetails our last episode quite nicely because it's kind of in sync with what that last question was. Um, and the question is, how do I change a negative atmosphere into a positive one? So we're in a sales environment and sometimes I feel like I just want my team to cheer up. Mm, how do I change a negative atmosphere? into a positive one. Well, we know, I know this for sure, that we have control over our mindset, our actions, and our reactions. So if we're in, this is my opinion, if we're in a negative atmosphere, how do we turn it into a positive one? As a leader, you have to show up and set the example. So the best way to do that, right? We talk about this too, when it comes to things like emotional contagion, and non-complimentary behavior of how we show up, we have to continue to be positive, even when there are things out of our control that we have no control over, maybe things that are above us as leaders um, that are negative and contribute to the negativity. So I think step one is you need to stay positive so that people follow suit with you. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think the first thing, yes, you're you're always on stage, aren't you, as a leader? And you're there every day with your team. And sometimes that is going to be hard and you don't want it to be forced. There's nothing worse than uh, a sales leader who comes in and says, hey, guys, cheer up. And it's just like, yeah, you can, you can hear a pin drop because everyone's so just not in the zone and not with you. So I, I think... Um, one of the things that you said, I think on our last episode was about understanding. And I think sometimes sales leaders can ignore a negative atmosphere, maybe because they're worried that it might be something that they've done or they're insecure. I think sometimes it's good to try and understand why are people feeling like this and maybe confront people one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, you know, how are you feeling the mood is? Without saying mm -hmm. that you think the mood is bad, how are you feeling the mood is at the moment? and say, use your coaching questions. You know, what can we do together to make it uh, a better mood? Um, what ideas have you got empowering them to have ideas instead of saying to them, you guys need to cheer up because we all know if anyone tells you, cheer up, what's wrong? It actually makes you feel worse. So it's, it's coming up with ideas. And then like you said in the last episode, again, trying to acknowledge why. Is it that there are people who just hate their job? Is it something you're doing? Is it something deeper than that, that something's going on at home that is out of your control? So always trying to understand in a neutral, um, non-blaming and insecure way, which is harder, harder than it sounds, isn't it? Well, again, this comes down to emotional intelligence for managers. And, and I think many listeners in leadership roles might be in a middle manager role. Um, some might be in a higher role. We know studies show that the higher the level you are in an organization, 
um, the less your, you know, your EQ. I'm sorry, guys. It's just, it is what it is. Middle managers have a tendency to have a higher EQ because they're in the trenches and they're, they have more awareness of what's going on around them, which is really important from an emotional intelligence standpoint. So when it comes to negative atmosphere, right? How do we define that? Is it a negative atmosphere? Because based on whatever this, the, the listener that asked this question, is it a negative atmosphere coming from a place of um, the employees are got a negative mindset? Or is it a negative atmosphere because there's something going on in the organization that's so dysfunctional? It's creating a negative atmosphere, right? Those are things that as a manager, you have to look at. You have to look at what is going on here in the organization how can I help my team be more effective? How do I probe? Um, I know I've I've gone to upper management and other organizations when I was a leader to say, hey, these things are impacting our team, right? These issues that are happening are impacting our team. How can I help facilitate a better situation? Or how long is this going to be going on? You know, sometimes there are organizations going through a merger and acquisition, and that creates a lot of stress. And we know that. So as a leader, I have to go back to my team. And I had this happen with a client I was coaching. Like, you're going through this, and you have to go to your team and say, listen, this isn't going to last forever. This is the situation we're in right now. We all have a choice to deal with it. Um, we can't change it. So let's all agree that we're going to try to do the best that we can with it. So as a leader, I think you have to figure out what, how can you be part of the solution yourself mm-hmm. and lead the solution? And then kind of like what you're saying, what questions go back and ask, ask them, well, if you had, if you had the magic wand, what would you do to make the atmosphere better mm. and probe them that way? To see what they, because they might find that as they're answering that question, they might find that their answers, not that they don't make sense, they might realize they're not as feasible. Yeah, definitely. I like that. And I think one of the the biggest issues that a lot of sales leaders are having out there at the moment is that they're not having enough conversations with their team members because they're firefighting, because they feel like they're constantly running around um, from pillar to post, not having an agenda, trying to help everyone, trying to run a desk or they're billing themselves. And they're also trying to help other people bill that they, they struggle to find time to have what is actually seems very small, but could be a crucial conversation because if you don't know, how happy your team are, you don't know what what the kind of vibe is, then you could risk losing a really experienced and top salesperson, which actually leads me to my next to, to the next question. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And this one gets me as well. And I completely empathize with this one. Um, how can I give myself more time to be everything mm. to everyone? Manage up and down, delegate tasks, utilize the skills of your team and be proactive with your manager. How how do I have time to do all of that? Um, mm. What do you think, Gina Tramarco? How can I give myself more time to be everything to everyone? Uh, when you told me this question earlier, I'm like, ah, I had a knee-jerk reaction to my answer on this. And my answer still has the same foundation, which is... You cannot be everything to everyone. That's step one, right? That it's unrealistic to try to be everything to everyone. 
uh, there are people who are not going to be happy, period. Uh, it was probably the best advice that I received in my career many years ago. Um, you know, when I was frustrated with an organization that I worked for, and it was a public tra- publicly traded organization, and there's just a lot of stress around it, especially this is years ago when something called Sarbanes-Oxley kicked in, and we had to follow some very specific accounting rules. You know, this all goes back to Enron days. And um, I had a boss say to me, Gina, when you're the president of the company, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but you're not the president of the company. And he he wasn't even being cheeky about it. He wanted to give me perspective that I don't know what's going on above me necessarily. And I might not know what's going on below me necessarily. Everyone's got different things that they're dealing with. So trying to be everything to everyone, I think that's a challenge. Um, learning how to manage up and down and delegate tasks and utilizing the skills of your team and be proactive with your manager. I think all of those are doable, right? But you have to understand what the priorities are. What are the priorities in the role that you're in? And then how do you maximize and optimize your day to have the most impactful effect that you can meeting those priorities, right? So sometimes there are things that are, you know, another another famous saying I got from a boss um, said to me, and you may have heard me say this this past week, she said, you will die and your inbox will still be full, <laughs> right? Um, the tasks are never going to go away. The things we have to get done are never going to go away. But we talk about this at Sales Gravy too, dividing up your day into impactful, important, and trivial, right? Really leading your day with what is the most impactful that you could be doing, no matter what your role is. But obviously in sales, impactful is going to be the things that truly affect revenue and sales generation. And so I think you have to keep your focus on that. I mean, what do you think? I see this so often today, more than ever. And I hate to say it, and I hate to generalize, but I see it quite a lot with women, new leaders who are new in sales roles, where um, it can be that they're in maybe a sort of boys club culture or they're in a culture where they feel that they need to prove themselves. Now, I'm not saying they do need to prove themselves. I'm saying that they feel that they need to they prove think themselves. They do, yeah. Exactly. And I think that, you know, you can open that up into imposter syndrome and all sorts where the tendency can be for managers who maybe are on the support supportive side, which is good. We want supportive, but when it becomes strength, weakness, paradox, and that becomes a weakness is when they just go into that comfort of being supportive. So what happens is Gina says, um, can you do me a favor, please? And I'm like, yeah, of course. What do you want me to do? And I'm becoming a yes person. I don't even know that Gina might want me to spend the whole of next week somewhere where I can't be, <laughs> but it's where we become yes people. And you're just, you, yeah, you're describing our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. But I think, yeah, there's a massive, I mean, you can look anywhere. Everyone's talking about it, how to say no sometimes and how to say no can be really difficult. And one thing that I've been working on, especially with some of my coaching clients is instead of thinking first about what, the, what takes more time to say no, which can take, if you do it in a good way, about 20 seconds, or to say yes, which could, you could begrudgingly 
take on a task and that could take you two hours plus. And what's more painful, saying no or saying yes, and the guilt where that comes from. But also, I think working out, are people leaning on you too much? And especially your team. We want a a team to be accountable. We want a team to be self-reliant. That is when management becomes great management opposed to good management. You can be supportive, but you're not developing your team if you are not getting them to be better than you, essentially. Every manager should be thinking, I'm developing my team to be better than me, and I'm going to have to ask them to do something for themselves first, and then I'll help them, and I'll have a look at it instead of, oh, let me do that for you, because I want to feel useful. I want to feel supportive. So if you are listening to this and you feel like, you know what, actually, I feel like I struggle to say no, then first of all, know that you're not alone. Second of all, we do recommend getting a coach um, (laughs) because that is something that lots of people do. And we're not saying, you know, we one full heartedly recommend sales gravy, but a coach in general um, who can support you through it, because if it's a lifetime tendency to say yes to people, it can take some time to get out of and you you need help to get through that. Um, But first of all, acknowledge it (laughs) and then we can help you. You know, you you started that with talking about, you know, sometimes women have a tendency to do that, right? Because they have a, a fear of imposter syndrome and they need to prove themselves. But I, I, I and I agree with that. I've seen it happen a lot with women um, where they kind of shut down and they're, they're so focused on proving themselves. But I've also seen it in men who are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anybody who's new in their role. I see this too. Um, from a prospecting perspective, right? I've got a couple deals going on right now that are in their early stages. And anytime I'm working with a group of stakeholders, especially with tech companies that are are growing and going through funding, I see this kind of common denominator of a, a lot of the stakeholders are new to the organization and uh, they're part of the decision-making process. They play some role um, as a stakeholder but they're so unsure of themselves that um, they don't even know they they don't they know what they want, but they're afraid of every step that they take is being watched under mm-hmm. a microscope. That they're afraid to make decisions, and they're 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 almost making decisions based on like you said, being like a yes man. Okay, well that if I say yes to that, that will make that boss happy without realizing that they just have to kind of stand their ground with this is what I believe we should be doing. Exactly. And ultimately, your goal is to be the best manager to help your team increase the revenue. And how are you going to do that if you're just sat around being stressed all the time? I'm not going to ask my manager for help if I think that they're constantly stressed. I'm going to try and suffer alone. And sometimes I might actually need their help. And it might cause a detriment to to my day if if I don't get their help. So, you know, I think it's getting that fine balance, isn't it? It's um, you're not always the best manager if you're doing what you're looking busy all the time. Sometimes I think the best managers are the ones who have that calm exterior and have an open door policy um, when you need them, but will equally push back on you. But I think you also have to be willing to raise your hand. This happened to me several years ago where I was uh, struggling in, in a location that I was taking over for the company and um, ge- the geography was different. The, the employees were different. The culture was different. And 
I raised my hand to my CEO and I said, you got to send me some help because I can't, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, that I think takes some level of bravery and guts because mm-hmm. some people could feel like that's admitting failure and admitting you can't do the job. And I was like, I can't do this job right now. I can't do this job without help. I need some kind of help to get this job done and to be effective. Um, what what doesn't work with that is when that leadership won't listen to that. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the scenario I was in in that situation. Um, kind of left out to to drown um, and figure it out. Which so what did you do? How how did you what did you do in the end? Um, you know, it's interesting in the end, I, in the end I got fired. Yeah. It's the only time I've been fired. Um, I kind of took this, you know, I talk about leadership. I took a, I fell on the sword. Let's put it that way. This is when things in the, um, I, I was, I was in an operations role. I mean, I was operation, but, but, you know, main part, my main goal, my main job was, was revenue. But I was the manager of the location. And so operationally, I was in charge of everything, right? I was the CEO of that location, so to speak. And they wanted me, you know, management in another city wanted me to let go of a variety of supervisors that all, you know, oversaw different departments, which were different revenue streams, right? And operationally, somebody was going to have to run those units and there was there there they they just from afar could only see a big picture and not a little picture and couldn't see the details of the picture and said we need you to fire all these people and i'm like well who's actually going to do those jobs right these are management positions like who's going to do that they're they're like well in 6 months when um because i'm in a seasonal town when when things pick up you'll just go out and rehire people. And I'm like, hey, that's short-sighted. Right? That's what I was trying to explain. I'm like, that's short-sighted in a town where I'm relying on geographical people that I'm now going to have to go back out and recruit again. Let's talk about the cost of recruiting good talent. It took me 18 months to put together this really amazing team. And, get, and this is kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about kind of about succession planning. Like my, my, thought process has always been, let me train my team so well that they could step in and do my job and I can walk away if Mm -hmm. I needed to, because Mm -hmm. that was going to be the only way that I was going to move up in the organization, right? I, I, somebody had to take my place. So I had to be confident enough that I could train people to take my place so that I could walk away. And that Mm -hmm. was my mindset. But in this scenario, um, letting go of all these people was going to, and I said to my bosses, I said, you're putting me into an 18 hour workday is what you're doing. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to cut that. I don't think I'm going to be able to handle that. I'm already pretty worn out because it was a startup. Um, I was already doing 16 hour days. I couldn't even wrap my head around it. My emotions took over, my amygdala kicked in. And ultimately to answer your question, I stood my ground and I refused to fire the people they told me to fire. And this was a Wednesday night, nine o'clock at night. I'm still in the office getting this directive. On Friday, you will fire the following people. One being my sales manager, 
who generated a significant portion of the revenue for the company. So it made zero sense to me. And I said, let's do this. I know that we're bleeding. This is when things were crashing in 2008. What kind of cost savings are we looking for here? Give me a number. Give me a cost savings number and let me reverse engineer that. There are things I can do to get creative. I can furlough people. I can cut their hours back. I can have these conversations with them. I can close this unit of the business. I can, I'm like, there are answers here that would prevent us from losing talent. So give me a number. And I was basically calling their bluff and they had no number to give me. Mm. And that was a Wednesday night. And on a Thursday night, while I was at a charity event, I got a phone call from another one of our cities and they said, hey, heads up, your boss is on a plane heading your way. And I didn't know it. So I'm like, put two and two together. He's coming for me. Because I, I put my foot down and said, I'm, there's got to be another way. I'm, I'm, let's find another way. So ultimately, he came in and said, uh, <laughs> we're asking for your resignation. And I said, no. <laughs> it's a very, very long story. If anybody wants a long, detailed story of it, because it's kind of a fun story, because I did it on my terms. It was a long story short. He, uh, he basically came and said to me, because I didn't answer his call that next day, that I was insubordinate. Okay. And therefore, and I didn't receive his phone call, which was the weirder thing. So it was a little bit of a setup. The point is, is that, I wasn't going to throw away good talent and I, and I stood my ground on it and ultimately I protected everybody's job. Now, when I walked into that job, I even said at that time to my husband at that time, I said, if I were them, I would bring me in, make me a change agent, do this job and then let me go. Let me get everybody in place and then let me go. Cause I was so highly paid. And, and so I had trained that staff to run that business without me. I taught them how to read a P&L statement. I, I taught them how to manage people and hire people. I taught them how to run that place without me. So when I was terminated because I refused to resign, I'm like, no, you terminate me and you tell them you terminated me because that's what's happening mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. They were able to run that location for a year without me. Because mm -hmm. the team was that good. And I took a lot of pride in that. Now, ultimately, it crashed and burned because they continued their, sh their short-sightedness. But I stood my ground to protect their jobs. And based on my own ethics and my integrity, that was the decision I made. And because for peace of mind, I couldn't keep doing the job under the pressure that they were giving me mm -hmm. and be a good leader. I was no yes. longer effective. Yes. And good for you, because I think there are a lot of managers out there who feel that they have to live under that kind of pressure and they have to put themselves under that. And, you know, I very much I'm, I'm one of those people who get accused of putting work before life sometimes. But when I look at a lot of managers out there, I think I really don't. And some people, they're tired, their health, they're stressed. They don't have time to do the simple things in life with their families. And I think that's so important. And somewhere, something's got in the way that's made them think, no, I need to give up all of that for 
this vision of what I should be. And that vision is someone else's vision. And it's not always what you should be. Um, and it's not realistic. And if it's not realistic, don't let them take advantage of you. And just like what Gina said, I, I, I really feel this strongly. Tell them what your goal is and tell them that you're only able to achieve X, Y, Z, because otherwise, if you're tired and stressed, you can't achieve the goals that you were set there to achieve. And who's going to know that better than you who's got their feet on the ground? So there are, there are ways to have that conversation if you do it in the right way. And that's often trying to not be too emotional and trying to speak about why you want why you feel the need to bring someone else on um, to support this role. Yeah, don't don't compromise. Um, don't compromise your own health, well-being, happiness, all of those things. Um, you know, my termination impacted a lot of my employees that were very upset. And ultimately, several of them followed me when I then started a business. Right. I had loyal, loyal employees that were so they were so unhappy when they the the next manager brought in. And and for the record, the next manager brought in was a friend of the regional person, yada, yada, yada. So there was some other things going on, right, that they wanted to put somebody else in that place. But, you know, they didn't care about the employees. And and I managed to keep my integrity, right? Maybe I didn't do the best thing um, for the company from a revenue perspective in their opinion, but I did what was right by the people because your people are your profit, right? Your people are your productivity. Your people are what's driving things. And if if you don't see that, it, you're going to pay for it later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I will say about that is Gina Schmarco, whoever ever decided to fire you was utter crazy. <laughs> but we'll move on from that because I know how hard you work and how passionate you are. But anyway, enough kiss ass Gina for that, that <laughs> question. Um, <laughs> um, the next question is, one of my team members told me yesterday that I am such an amazing friend <sighs> to them. Um, I'm not their friend. Um, and it made me worried that my team don't respect me. So how can I ensure that I don't lose mm. their respect? Well, he, you want to answer that one first? <laughs> I'm happy to. Um, I think one thing that I have observed in my years in business is that some relationships are brilliant in a workplace. You've got a fantastic social culture. Um, and in my opinion, there is nothing wrong with that. If you are friends with your manager, my manager was my usherette. She's still one of my closest friends. And she was very good because I can be a bit cheeky, as you know, and <laughs> um, she was very good at saying to me, you know, I'm telling you, this is, is, is your boss now, not your friend. Or then she would turn around and say, I'm telling you, this is your friend, not your boss. And I had enough respect for her. And she knew that, which is why we were friends. And she also trusted me enough to be able to go between the two and the respect was never lost. So. My opinion is if you are a sales leader and you feel that you've got a good friendship with someone, that's all very well. That's great. But I think just make sure that the team, first of all, 
don't see you having a favorite because sometimes we don't think that we seem like we have favorites, but they often can see we wear our heart on our sleeve more than we think. And I think secondly, um, just make sure that they know there are boundaries and that it doesn't impact on your formal business relationship. I I love that. Um, I didn't even think about that, but I have found myself in many scenarios saying, especially when I ran my own business, um, you know, depending on the personality too, right? Like my type of personality is the type of personality wants to be friends with everybody. And I have learned through time that that could bite me. Um, You know, I want everybody to be happy and I do become friends, but I've got burned on it and I had to learn how to back off from that and use that exact phrase. Like right now I'm talking to you like a boss right now. I'm talking to you as a friend mm-hmm. and these are the things that, right. And I, and I would be really clear about this is a boss situation versus a friend situation because I have a business to run. And so mm-hmm. I would say that on a regular basis. Now for this person in particular, who's saying, um, asking this question, Right. One of my team members told me yesterday that I'm such an amazing friend. I would, this is my challenge to this person sit down and reflect on this. Why do you think this person is saying you're being such an amazing friend to them? What have you done that would warrant that response? And just take an inventory of that because you might find something in that that may clue you in on things that you should stop doing, start doing, or continue doing, right? So I I would look at that specifically. And then, like you said, communicate with the, I'm talking to you as a friend, I'm talking to you as boss, and then always walk the walk as a boss so that you're not losing respect. You're, you know, you're always going to have people who, uh, no matter what you do, someone is going to look at you and say, you know, that's Susanna, whatever, insert whatever, insert whatever other gripe that they have. You will constantly, as a leader, be under a microscope, be judged, be criticized. And, th- and that goes back to the, the first question of trying to, what was that, be, be everything to everybody, right? This goes hand in hand with that. There are some people that you will never, ever, ever make happy in your leadership role ever. And and that's like the 80-20 rule of anything. Like as trainers, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like me as a trainer or as a coach or as a person or as a leader or as a friend, insert title, right? Period, right? It just, it is, it is what it is, but you need to ask yourself what's happening there in that scenario. And then assume the role of leadership. Like what does what does leader look like versus friend and be in that constant intentional mindset? Yeah, I love that. And I think I do, I see two types of leaders, the types of leaders who gave us these questions, who want to explore these ideas in order to strive towards excellence. And you see the types of leaders who kind of just get on with it and don't really care about improving themselves and they kind of hit a wall eventually so you know you have to make the mistakes and you have to learn in order to to progress as a leader and to get to to the right point no one ever gets it right all the time we're always learning i was a shoddy leader at one point and i'm not afraid to admit that because i think had i not 
like fought it, I wouldn't have become a reasonable leader. So, you know, I think it's um, being self-aware and coming up with these questions and trying different ways is, is really key. Definitely. You're looking at me like you want an, <laughs> another question. Do you want another I question? Don't, I don't know. I, what did we do other questions? I think we did. We have done all the questions for today, but there are more. Um, well, there was another question and we'll, we'll, we'll add this one quickly. So what advice do you give me for things that are out of my control because a director above me won't spend on the resources needed uh, to make us better? Well, I like this one. Um, what advice do you give me for the things that are out of my control? Let's let's break this down one a little bit. Things that are not things that are out of your control, right? We know this. The the things that we can control, our actions, our reactions, our mindset. So you have to just continue to think about that. There are some things that you will not be able to control, period, end of story. Now, take that part two, because a director above me won't spend on the resources needed to make us better. There's a couple things to this one. If you need resources to make you better, it is on you to make a business case for that and present that to the leaders above and say, we need these resources and this is what will result from it, right? This is just making a case for it, um, showing the the ROI on on it, right? These resources will do these things, even if it's not necessarily um, returning actual dollars, what's it returning in productivity, morale, um, any of that, right? But make a case for it if you need the resources. If you still can't get the resources because you didn't make a case for it, then sometimes you're going to have to make the investment yourself. Now, I say that from a sales perspective, right? I invest, um, I invest some of my own money into things um, for myself, A, because sometimes I want to test it, right? I want to test the fact that I pay someone to do my social media posts. I pay someone to do my email. We pay someone to produce our podcast, right? Because when I break down my hourly rate, um, it makes more sense for me to pay someone to do those things so that I can free up my time to be more productive. Now, I can do that and start to show results from that and then go to my boss and say, hey, I've been, do- I've been spending the money on this myself and-, and here's what I've been able to produce out of my pocket. Are you willing to pay for this now? Because I, I-, I can prove that it- there's a benefit to it, right? So th- that's-, that- that's the approach I would take on it is that you've got to make a case for what you need and if you can't get what you need, then you got to figure out how to get it. I love that answer, by the way. Another uh, classic. I couldn't have put it better. Um, And I also just think that as sales leaders who work with directors, managing upwards is key. And that means you are an influencer. You have to influence um, the bosses above you and take ownership. If you're given a patch to look after, if you're given a south patch, a north patch, a mid patch, that patch is yours and you have to see it that way. And what that means is if it was your own business, think like mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. I need investment and this is what you'll get from the investment. In my experience, and I know I'm not as experienced as, as you are and many out there, but in my experience, if that is someone else's business and they want to grow it, 
they're going to listen to you because you're you're talking about doubling their money or doing more X, Y, Z. Why would they not want to invest in those resources? So sometimes we can assume that they won't. Right. And yeah, that's a you, good point. That, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. There's an assumption that, oh, they'll never pay for this. You don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it comes, like you said, putting up that case, translate it to money. Essentially, if it's my business, I'm going to listen if you show me the ROI. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are definitely ways around that. But that one thing that I just want to add to this, and this kind of mixes all of the questions together is confidence to have conversations which are difficult and there are some people who are pretty confident having conversations with most people but when it comes to somebody that they're intimidated by Mm -hmm. good point you know more about this than me because you're an improv expert but your my your voice just gobbles up in your throat and you don't sound confident you wish you never said it and you don't get the impact across that you wanted to get through um and there are lots of people like that. And what advice would you give to them? Because my advice would be practice, <laughs> practice, obstacle immunity. <laughs> what advice would you have to people who struggle to have more confident, assertive conversations? That's a really good point, because I've never really looked at it that way of difficult conversations. We talked about this a, a couple episodes back because I said, why is a conversation have to be difficult? It's just a we conversation, did. right? Yeah. And people have actually referenced that show back to me several times. I it, it's obviously we we triggered something because seriously several people have said to me, I love that time that you said it's a conversation. Why does it have to be difficult? Right? So but but you hit on something that I think is interesting. When you're intimidated by someone, that's I I think that's where the conversation gets difficult. You're intimidated. You don't have the confidence to be having that conversation therefore the conversation becomes difficult so ask yourself right if you're feeling uncomfortable about the conversation ask yourself what is it about this person that makes me feel intimidated insecure less than nervous etc identify the emotions right like i do a self-empathy exercise on how to find the triggers um your own emotional triggers Figure out what it is about that person that triggers you. That that would be step one to identify. And then, then tell yourself that, you know, you got to go counter to it, right? Let's just say you're intimidated by someone because you think um, they're a bully. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just coming up with a random thing, right? They, you, they're, they're maybe their temperament makes you nervous. Well, then say to yourself, why why does their temperament make me nervous? What is it about their temperament that does that that I feel uncomfortable? And mm-hmm. and, and you might you might identify what's actually bothering you and it's not them, it's something else in you. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if you start to identify those things, that that will help you. Um as far as you know, the one thing I tell people all the time about building confidence is like you said practice is a piece of it. Right. I have to keep practicing what I do. But I've encouraged like people that I coach. And by the way, um, shameless plug, uh, Suzanne and I do both coach salespeople for sales gravy. So I'm going to just put that out there. I have, I have told a lot of my clients go ask people that you work with what you're good at. 
like solicit compliments. And I know that sounds weird and that feels um, almost egotistical, but people see things in you that you don't see. And mm-hmm. so if you can go and say, what do you think it is that I do well? Or how have I helped you and impacted you? Tell me those things. And you start to see a pattern that will actually build your confidence because you're not always seeing it. Another simple exercise I'll give people is go ask three friends, three colleagues, and three family members to each give you three adjectives that come to mind when they think of you. So you've got nine people each giving you three adjectives. So you got 27 adjectives, right? Now look at that list of adjectives and see how many of those adjectives are repeated and start to come up with uh, the, the most common adjectives about you, right? So for me, what, what always comes up is bold, funny, and I think like something along the lines of determined, right? Those words come up over and over and over again. Right? Start, start letting other people tell you what you're great at, because again, we don't always see it in ourselves. And you start hearing it enough then you start assuming it and you start walking the walk. And I'm like, I am pretty funny. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, would so be some, those would be some of my tips on confidence. I mean, what do, you, what do you think? I love that. I think one thing that I've said loads of times, um, whether it's been on this podcast or just to friends or people I'm coaching, is imagine if you are on the Big Brother, the reality TV show. And imagine if the camera is not on you and you've gone into the other room, imagine how much stuff people would have to say about you that isn't positive. And I hate to say it, but whilst people say positive stuff as well, they do say negative stuff and that's just their perception. um, And that will always be there. So instead of worrying about it and comparing yourself to other people first of all compare yourself to your former self like for example when you were 12 13 and how far you've come um but also start thinking everyone has negative stuff said about them and that's okay and move on because i can tell you i i've always thought i'm pretty popular person but there are groups of people who don't want me to be in their whatsapp group and that's fine. I'm not their cup of tea. I, I get over that because likelihood is they're not my cup of tea either. So, you know, I think there's, for me, this is more personal than anything else. A certain amount of confidence has come from just having peace with that and moving on and just going on your own road and being you. I love it. I love it. Sometimes your haters are the best people that can give you confidence. Yeah. 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 I like that. Okay. Do you have a would you rather for us to wrap up the show? Do I have a would you rather question (laughs) to wrap up the show? Absolutely, I do. And I really like this one as well. And because we don't have a guest today, (laughs) uh, this is a really funny one, actually. Um, Because we don't have a guest today, I'm going to give it to you. Of course. but And then then to you. (laughs) All right. All right. So, Gina Tramarco, would you rather wear a crass sexually suggestive uniform to work or an extremely stuffy uncomfortable uniform oh man (laughs) oh if i had to choose oh my gosh i mean my my gut reaction is sexy 
really. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, crass, sexually suggestive, walking into the sales gravy offices, ready to train. Oh, me. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, can, uh, we'd have to really define what that looks like. <laughs> oh, that well, is yeah, such that's, a tough that's one. True. I mean, I, I guess I would go with stuffy, but I wouldn't like <laughs> you it. Want, you want to say sexy, but when we say crass and we say sexually suggestive, it depends on how you define crass and it depends on how you define sexually suggestive. I think it's all very subjective. It is subjective. All of these questions are often subjective. <laughs> but I'm thinking, so, you know, Pretty Woman, the film with Julia Roberts. Yep. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it a lot because I'm in America. And, you know, at the very beginning when she's wearing those big high boots and she's like wearing, yep. she looks like a hooker. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking about. So, um, yeah. So although I think she looks hot, I would probably say, same as you, extremely stuffy, uncomfortable uniform would probably probably just make me feel more comfortable without everyone seeing everything and thinking that I'm a hooker. Yeah. I don't want things falling out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Although if anyone wants to see our new photo shoot um, for the women your mother warned you about, it could arguably be sexually suggestive in some of the poses. (laughs) (laughs) But we're pretty well dressed. So um, again, that's where the subjectivity comes in, right? I mean, Indeed. you could, I mean, you always have that pouty lip going on in your photos and that could definitely be considered sexually suggestive. <laughs> Just say there's that one picture of you and I under that staircase and you got your little pouty face and I got my giant laugh going on. It, there couldn't be more contrast between the two of us. No, I know. I love it. I love it. I learned to pout from the best. I learned to pout from the best. <laughs> Who'd you learn to pout from? Why owe you <laughs> <laughs> the face on Zoom that, that you pull sometimes? Oh, that's when you're right. In that's right. You told me I do a pouty face. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, if you could just see her. If you could just I see her. I thought that's what I had to do to be on this podcast. Oh, no? my gosh. Wait, wait. Where is my? Oh, I left my phone in the other room. All right. We're going to have to have Nian pull um, a snapshot out of that video because I need that pouty face video. Um, yeah. Maybe that yeah. should be the, the the image that we use for this episode. All right. Well, it is time to wrap up this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, which went longer than I thought it would. And we still have lots of questions to answer, don't we? We always do. I so love please this. send your questions. Send your questions. Send we your questions, them. whether it's sales leadership or sales or what to wear. I don't know. I'm just making things up now. (laughs) We love answering your questions here at the women your mother warns you about brought to you by sales gravy and sales gravy university. Uh, Thank you once again for listening. Go check us out at women, your mother warns you about.com. You can also find Susanna and I on the salesgravy.com website and go check out her new course coming soon, as well as my new course selling with humor. So we both have new courses coming. But we're out of here, Warners, and have a good trip back over to the other side of the pond. Apparently it was some kind of vodka jelly.